Welcome to the People Teaching People podcast. My name is Tiana Fesh. I'm a mom of three, an educator, a course development consultant, and a lifelong learner. Teaching and learning can take place anytime, anywhere, and in a multitude of ways. The range of knowledge and skills to teach and to learn about are truly limitless. But at the heart of all teaching and learning experiences are the people. The People Teaching People podcast is the place to talk about the who, what, when, where, why, and how of teaching and learning in a world where there is always more to discover. Education plays an important and integral role in all facets of our lives. How we work, do business, live, play, explore, and build relationships. Let's talk teaching and learning together. Welcome to the People Teaching People podcast. Joining me on the podcast today are my parents, Susan and Brian Plessick. When I asked my mom and dad if they would be interested in being guests on my podcast as part of recognizing my four-year milestone of being a podcaster, their initial response was, no. My mom even questioned what she would possibly have to say or offer. Well, I certainly wouldn't have asked these two amazing humans to be guests on my podcast if I didn't feel that they had stories and wisdom to share. Thankfully, they said yes, subject to figuring out the tech. My dad texted me to let me know that, quote, we will gracefully accept your invitation to be guests on your podcast as long as I don't have to memorize any lines. I assured them that there was no memorization required. We were just going to have a conversation that would we would happen to be recording and that we would share with the world. My mom and dad, aka Bri and Suze, are two of my favorite teachers, the outside of the classroom type that I have ever had. They have been role models for me my whole life of kindness, generosity, community engagement, and the importance of relationships. Well, truth be told, I may have thought that they were a little less awesome and the strictest parents ever when I was a teenager, but they have been pretty awesome for the most part. Susan is a retired social worker who has a bachelor's degree in community recreation, a bachelor's of social work, as well as a master's of social work. Her main area of work was in the area of domestic violence and included a variety of roles, including outreach in the community, supervisor of an adult counseling program, and then as manager of housing for the YWCA. After retiring in 2008 from the YWCA, Susan did consultation work for the Alberta Council of Women's Shelters for 12 years. She enjoys volunteering with the Outreach Committee of Woodcliffe United Church, as well as volunteering with Ujama Grandmas, one of over 240 groups across Canada raising funds for the Stephen Lewis Foundation. This foundation provides funding for programs providing support to individuals impacted by HIV and AIDS. My mom, Susan, enjoys spending time with her three adult children and their families. It brings great joy to be a part of their lives, attending school concerts, sporting events, and enjoying family time at the cabin in Scotch Creek. 
Brian Plessick, my dad, was born and educated in Edmonton, Alberta. His academic background includes a bachelor's degree in community recreation and a master's degree in community development, both from the University of Alberta. He worked in the areas of stakeholder consultation and community and Indigenous relations with and in communities across Canada, the United States, and Indonesia. During his 10-year career in government, he edited one of the earliest publications in the field, Public Involvement in Cold Lake. Ironically, that publication was dedicated to the host of this very podcast. After over 25 years in the oil and gas industry and a short stint in consulting, Brian found his true calling, retirement. Besides extensive traveling with his spouse, Susan, and often with close friends, he spends time at the family cabin in British Columbia and volunteers with the church, theater, and not-for-profit organizations. However, Brian finds the most joy in watching his three offspring and their families grow and experience the peaks and valleys of life. Thank you so much for joining me, Brian and Suze, aka Mom and Dad. You're very welcome, Tiana. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I wanted to start off talking about, well, I don't want to start off talking about how you're retired, because you are, but we're going to dive into that more later. So I want to look back a little bit. And the two of you both had very interesting and busy careers prior to retiring, although retirement is busy in itself. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you met one another when you were both students in the Bachelors of Recreation Administration program at the University of Alberta in Edmonton, right? Not quite. I'm a lot older than your mother, so I had already graduated and she was still a student. Okay. But both went through the same program. Right. Right. And then from there, Suze, you went on to become a social worker. And Bri, you worked in public relations and community development. So what I'm wondering is if you could both share some pivotal moments or influences that led to your respective careers. Okay, I'll go first. So yes, my first degree right out of university was in recreation, but I focused on therapeutic recreation because I was interested in working with individuals that had challenges. And so therefore, after I graduated, I worked with uh, young people that were struggling with trouble with the law or emotional issues. And then I went back to school and I did a Bachelor of Social Work, started it while I was working. Actually, then I was working helping individuals with intellectual challenges find employment, and then went was going to university part-time, and then I was pregnant with you, and I finished the degree over the next couple of years, and then was home for a while, but then I decided to do a master's degree in social work, and then did ended up in the area of domestic violence. That's sort of a short version of what happened. So what about in your domestic violence work? What types of things were you involved in? A variety of things. I began working primarily as an outreach worker, so working with women and children out in the community and helping them with safety planning, connecting them to resources. And then I eventually 
became the supervisor, I guess, of the adult clinical program. And so I was doing groups for women and for men and supervising all the group facilitators. And then lastly, before I retired from the YWCA, I was manager of housing, so which included the shelter, tra transitional housing, a teen, female teen program, and a few other programs, six different programs I managed. And what about you, Bri? So my pivotal moment, I guess, was the fact that I lacked athletic ability, unlike my kids and grandchildren. And so mostly we did kind of played in our neighborhood and I kind of experienced community. So I think having grown up in, in a non-competitive recreational activity kind of uh, Northeast Edmonton community, I got in, interested in, and experienced in, in community. And that's what led me to my, to my work and my career. So after your bachelor's degree, what was next for you in terms of education and then some of the type of work you were doing? Well, I was a, actually a recreation director. I actually used my recreation uh, education undergraduate and I was a recreation director with the city of Edmonton for almost five years. And then I met a woman and we got married and she dragged me off to Europe for four or five months. And when we came back, I got a job with the Alberta government, with the environment department, where I was going out and working with rural Alberta communities. And I was there for about five years. And after that, I spent almost 30 years working for an oil company going out and working with Indigenous and rural communities internationally and across Canada and the United States around oil and gas development and issues that came largely around in the impact of, of that industry on, on those communities and the environment. So one thing that I find interesting about both of you is in your families, in your respective families, among your siblings, you were each the only two who pursued university education. So I'm curious what motivated you to take that path and how did it affect some of your future in endeavors and adventures? Hmm, good question. When I finished high school, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, but I decided I, I felt I needed to go to university and I was late applying, so I was in sciences my first year. And then I met, ran into someone that I'd gone to high school with, and she was telling me about recreation and therapeutic recreation. So then I just switched into that. But I just, I just really felt that I needed more education to do what I wanted, to work, be able to work with people. And for me, all of my family were involved in the trades, plumbing, welding, sort of those kind of skills. And I didn't have any of those skills, so the only option for me was to go the academic route, so I went to university. And I was actually the first Plessic in our entire extended family to go to university. And I thought, maybe if I do that, someone will give me a, a whole lot of money because they're so proud of me, but I didn't get any money. That's okay. That's okay. Thank you for sharing about your journeys and experiences. See, this is good. It's helping me to get to know two people that I've known my entire life even better. <laughs> One of the things I find really interesting about both of you is how over your careers and, 
and even after, you've both engaged in mentoring aspiring professionals in your respective fields. So I wanted to ask you about what inspired you to become mentors and if you could share some insights or lessons that you gained through those mentoring experiences. Okay, well, for me, being in a supervisory position, it, that involved mentorship, but we didn't call it mentorship at the time, but I was a supervisor. And some of the things that I learned about supervising was my experience of a supervisor I had who was very ineffective <laughs> and actually quite dysfunctional for the organization. And working in an area of domestic violence, uh, there's a lot of trauma, which impacts the staff working with, with women and children and men. And so I, what I learned when I moved into a supervisory and a management position was the importance of talking to the staff or students that I was responsible to work with about the effects of working with individuals who've experienced trauma. That very, it's very normal that they may be impacted as well. And I wanted to make it safe for them to be able to either talk to a colleague or to myself about what was going on for them. That was the most important thing I think I learned about being a supervisor, to make a safe place for people to talk about what was going on for them. And that it didn't have anything to do with them not being a very competent professional. I think that's so important, creating that safe space. But I do love how some of your insight came from an experience with someone that wasn't being a very good mentor. Because <laughs> there's a lot of learning that comes from those amazing mentors that we have in our life, but also the ones that are not so amazing as well. Right. What about you, Dad? Well, when I was at university, I knew everything. And I, while I was there, I was in sort of meetings with, with community people and with employers and stuff. And because I knew everything, I kind of was happy to share that. And I met a guy there who was a, a senior person with the city of Edmonton, and he actually was admired that. And he had the attitude that, you know, maybe I can learn something from young people and ended up hiring me. And I worked for, that's how I got the job with the city of Edmonton. So it was a great lesson to me that we need to be open and listen to young people and people who know everything, or they think so, about things. And so that, that I think it's important that he was a role model to me in how to mentor. And that certainly happened with other, other people in, in my career who uh, kind of modeled to me how to be a mentor and taught, taught me how to be a mentor. So when did you realize that you didn't, in fact, know everything? Well, probably when I started having children, so it's your fault. <laughs> no, I think uh, I, th I think along the way you, you start to grow up, and the more you know, I was lucky because I was in the engagement business, like talking to people, rural people, and indigenous people who knew amazing things. And uh, an indigenous elder once told me, "Wisdom is defined by knowing what you don't know." And it really struck me then that I didn't know a lot of things. So that was, that was a great lesson. But also so remarkable that your mentor recognized that there was something that they could learn from you as well. Yes. Uh, I was in a school once and there I saw a great a bumper sticker or a poster on a wall that said, 
when one teach to learn. And that's been a great lesson for me. That is a quote by Robert Heinlein that I love. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> one of my favorites. Yeah, because I think there's also an organizational psychologist, Adam Grant, that I talk about, and he has a quote, and it's the idea is along the notion that what if we sort of thought that we could learn something from everyone that we meet? And just having that curiosity. And I know, I definitely know that I don't know everything. <laughs> the children, our children have definitely helped with that. But I, I learn something new every day. And I think in a mentorship role, when I was working with student teachers, there was a lot of learning that happened. And I got a, many great ideas from them, just mm -hmm. watching them and listening to them, but also by the great questions that they asked. Now, Reflecting on your journey as parents, so of three amazing children, and now as grandparents of six, six kids ranging in age from eight to 17 years old, what are some key insights or lessons that you've gained? And maybe how has your perspective on family changed over the years? Big, big question. Mm -hmm. uh, well, family is, is extremely important to me. And I think the most important thing I've learned about parenting is to be able to listen. To say less and listen more is really important. And you know, I think that's the most important lesson. And, and also, I think that we're, as parents and grandparents, we're, we're role models. Mm -hmm. And so that our children and grandchildren hopefully learn more from what we do rather than what we say. Mm -hmm. So we can model um, being kind and helpful and supportive and encouraging. So those are the most important things. Would you say, do you notice any differences in yourself as a mom versus a grandma? Yes, I think as a mom, <laughs> there's more responsibility to, around discipline, setting limits, kinds of things. And a grandmom, I think we have more of an opportunity just to be supportive and encouraging and modeling things, doing things with the grandchildren. So there's less of those responsibilities around the discipline. I think it's quite different. Except when your children leave you with grandchildren for extended periods of time. <laughs> well, then sometimes there needs to be a little bit of setting <laughs> limits, sometimes. <laughs> yeah, sometimes. What about you, Brian? Well, I, I think my recreation background and growing up the way I did, um, I think playing and having adventures uh, or what we call in our family special times was something that was real important in, in our parenting. And I guess that that also continues on, on as being a, a grandparent. But, all, but I think more as a grandparent than a parent, we're not as busy, so we have time to be available. And I think that's really, really important. So for example, if one of your kids' vehicles doesn't start, you have to be available to give them a ride or try and help rescue their, their broken vehicle. Uh, and ironically, that happened today. <laughs> And I know that because I was at a physio appointment with one of your other children and he received a call from his wife about yeah. the situation. Case yeah. study, there you go. Yeah, and he said, don't tell dad. I said, I'm gonna tell him that not only were you taking calls during my appointment, you were eating yogurt and he wasn't. <laughs> he was watching um, Skeleton on his phone. 
That's multitasking. That's also a good, good lesson. <laughs> all good lessons. All good lessons. Now, this is a big question. So as parents, what are the core values or life lessons you aim to instill in your three children? So Tice, Dev, and I. And how do you feel those lessons have shaped the adults we've become? Or maybe they haven't. You can say that too. Okay. Wow. Well, then you can respond Okay, <laughs> if it worked or not. <laughs> I, well, again, I think kindness, respect for others, being helpful, volunteering, trying your hardest, whatever you do, learning from your mistakes, importance of friendships and nurturing those friendships. I think those are the values that have been important for me and hopefully modeled for the three of you. What do you think, Dad? Well, I think in addition to what Susan has said, I think a couple of things. One is gratitude to be uh, grateful on a regular basis for, for the amazing gifts that we have been given from our parents and, and just the place that we live. And, and I guess also curiosity, what I, I like to call a sense of wonder, that we, we have, you know, with those amazing opportunities that we've been given, there's still lots to learn. And travel, meeting new people, listening, as Susan said, to your kids and especially your grandchildren, that sense of wonder and curiosity is, is really, really important. So how are we doing so far? Well, our, <laughs> our grandchildren are doing really, really well. Uh, that's all I'm going to say. Okay. How do you feel you're doing? <laughs> oh, being a parent is hard. Um, <laughs> I think... Well, I'll, I'll speak first about my siblings, so outside of myself. But I have to say, you know, you hear sometimes that people don't have very good relationships with their siblings as adults. And I would say that we do have good a good relationship. And when I look at both Tice and Dev and what they're doing and how they live their lives, I think they're pretty awesome. And I can honestly tell other people how awesome they are and I see the things that they're doing in the world are making a difference for other people and the way that they approach their lives is with lots of curiosity and kindness and respect for others and and really trying to do their part to do to do good so I can I can say as an as their their older sister that they're doing an awesome job it's harder to look at yourself and think about those things, I think, because I think it's easy to notice or think about the times that maybe things don't go as you've intended them to. Or, But overall, I would say I try my best to be a good person. I'm definitely always learning because I change my career about every two to five years. So definitely maintaining that curiosity and volunteering and and sort of giving back mainly in the sense of school and hockey at the moment but <laughs> definitely like to try and and do do good in whatever way I can with the time that I have it's still a little crazy right <laughs> yeah. we almost have three teenagers 
<laughs> and then soon one adult, which is terrifying. <laughs> now, I know you both said that you have more time. However, I would say you both lead very busy and active lives in retirement. You've got a lot on the go with traveling and exercising and socializing and volunteering. So when you think about that transition from work life to retirement, what would be some of the challenges and joys that you've uh, experienced during this phase of life? Well, I've re I retired a few times, but you have. <laughs> I have 15 years ago when I retired from the YWCA was just when your second son was born. So I had time to help you during that time. And so that's, I guess, one of the things that has helped is to be able to be more available for family. But for me too, I, the, one of the challenges initially was just figuring out where I did want to spend my time. Because there's only so much time you can exercise or socialize. <laughs> so I was very fortunate that the person I had worked for at the YWCA went on to work for the Alberta Council of Women's Shelters and she asked me to do some work for her or for the organization. And, and so for the next probably 12 years or 13 years, 12 years probably, I was able to do some part-time contract work. And it was great. I got to travel all over the province, do some training, help people with the database. So that was a, a good transition for me in retirement and then volunteering. It's given me time to do some volunteer work, which I think is really important. And then we've been able to travel as well. And you've done a lot of volunteer work. <laughs> well, <laughs> what is some of the volunteer work that you do? Currently, well, with the church, with the outreach committee and uh, my very dear friend, June and I are taking the lead on reconciliation. And that's been a big piece of time to be able to do that. But it's been wonderful working with June because through the years too, June and I did some work around um, recycling and yeah, you probably remember that, setting up a recycling bins at the mall and things like that. So, but yeah, that was when I was working as well. So the church takes a lot of time. I'm also a member of Ujama Grammas, which raises funds for grandmothers in sub-Saharan Africa who are many of them who are raising their grandchildren because the parents have died of HIV AIDS. So those are the main things. And prior to that, I was on the board for an organization that supported parents with children with disabilities and the parents also had some challenges. So I've had the experience to be able to do a number of different things. What about you, Dad? What are your joys and challenges in retirement? Well, when I, I retired also about 15 or 16 years ago from uh, uh, oil, an oil company, and uh, I didn't really want to do anything. I thought I was kind of like yogurt past my best before date. And I actually got a phone call one morning from someone that said, uh, you know, do you want to, could you do this little bit of contract work? And I said, well, no, you know, I'm too old now and I don't know anything anymore. And uh, this woman said to me, well, you always talked about all the things you learned from people and all the gifts that you've been given from by communities, the lessons that you had learned. So what I'm hearing is that you want to just keep those for yourself. You are, seems to me, a bit of a selfish bastard. 
Anyway, I was downtown about an hour after that, starting about a 10-year consulting uh, work where I kind of shared those things I learned. But I think the other important thing in retirement is is to, as I think Susan has talked about this, is to care and connect. And uh, in addition to doing that contract work, we were also, uh, and I was also heavily involved with Habitat for Humanity, both here in Calgary and internationally, and we traveled and built helped build uh, homes for a number of years uh, internationally. And I think also just, you know, reaching out to do, step out of your comfort zone in retirement. And it gets harder, I think, as you get older to connect the, the care and connect part. And so I volunteer now at a, at a theater downtown. And also I joined a outdoor, a seniors outdoor club where we get to kind of meet new people and, and experience the outdoors and, try and keep this old body moving. See, you're both very busy. Yeah. <laughs> but it's interesting how you're both talking about, you know, looking at this phase of life and what, how do you want to choose to use that time? So it, when I'm hearing you talk, it sounds like it sort of comes back again to those values. Yeah. And how does your time reflect those? And I know that you recently went to Mexico and based on a, a brief conversation with my husband and, and sort of what I know of both of you is relaxing is hard. Well, <laughs> one of us is not good at relaxing and one of us is very good at <laughs> relaxing. Yeah. Well, Jason mentions from time to time that I'm not very good at relaxing, <laughs> but I come by it honestly. <laughs> it's, I think it's genetic. It's genetic. Yeah. So this has come up a few times in a, our conversation, but one of the things that I admire about both of you is that you are lifelong learners and that you are always curious and looking to learn and grow. And you've talked about some of the things that some of the ways that learning has enriched your retirement, but I'm wondering if there's any new skills or subjects that you're still diving into or maybe looking to learn more about. Well, yeah, I've given that some thought since you sent us the questions. <laughs> I guess for me, the main learning that I'm doing now, and I, it's, it's around the indig Indigenous issues. And so I've been very fortunate to be able to connect with an elder, knowledge keepers, and things like that. So that's, oh, and then I started going to Aquafit over the last year. So that's even that's a learning. But I, and I kept thinking, what do else do I want to be learning? And, and I was thinking, perhaps I know how to knit, but I was thinking, I think I'd like to learn how to knit better so I can actually <laughs> make something. And yeah, so those are the main things. I don't think there's anything major that I want to learn. I just want to keep doing and maybe get a little bit better at things than I have been for me. Yeah. What about you? Well, in, in the last couple of years or so, I've been, I've been doing some real hard work on self-examination, kind of understanding my faith and spiritual journey. And that's been hard and rewarding. So that, that's, been, that's been really good. The other thing that I'm desperately interested in learning is how to use my damn cell phone. <laughs> so hopefully one of my enlightened grandchildren will, will bless me and show me how to, you know, charge it and not turn it off and how to use 
various kinds of tools and stuff. So that that's definitely an area that I got to, technology is something that I'm real light on. Should we talk about that? <laughs> <laughs> no. 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 <laughs> No, I mean, technology is changing so fast. And it's such a big part of everything that we do. The cell phone piece, I think your grandchildren would be very capable of of giving you some tips and and helping you figure out the things that you're looking to figure out for sure. (laughs) But if you don't charge your phone, or you don't turn it on, it, it makes it tricky. Oh, thank you for that lesson. So a question that I always ask my guests, and I'm excited to hear what you have to say, is who would be a favorite teacher or what would be a favorite learning experience that you've had and why does that person or experience stand out for you? Okay. Well, I wasn't able to think. I couldn't identify a teacher, really, that was had the biggest impact. Maybe it's too far back. First of all, I think my mom was a, a good teacher because she was kind and interested in people. So that would be one. And then I think I was really, I've been really, really fortunate to have through the years met incredible women, very strong women that have been, I've learned from them and they've been role models for me. Many of them, you know, so I I feel really fortunate about that. I was really fortunate to have an exceptional supervisor when I was at the YWCA and took me to another level in terms of working with people and learning how to do trauma work. And so that was really a a turning point for me to be able to learn that. It sounds like you've had lots of great teachers. Mm -hmm. And I would say grandma was one of my favorite teachers too. Yeah. What about you, Bri? Well, I, when I was a uh, undergraduate at university, I had a professor named George Kupfer, who uh, was a, uh, taught sociology. And through my undergraduate work and then my work and my graduate work and then my work after my graduate work, we stayed connected. And he's in his uh, late 80s now, and I've stayed connected with him for over 50 years. And it's interesting that even over that 50-year period, we talk about reading and stuff. And he's a voracious reader and until almost recently has continued to assign me reading for over 50 years. And, you know, I always ask him sort of in jest, I I hope there's not going to be an assignment or I don't have to do a book report. And he replied, well, you didn't ever do your book reports and assignments when you were an undergraduate. Why would you now? So uh, what a blessing it's been to have, have, him, have him in my life. And I love that he still was give, gives those nudges of yeah. things to look at and things yeah. to dive into. But thank goodness there's no assignments because APA format, <laughs> yeah. it's a lot. It's a yeah. lot. And when you both look back at your journey so far, what would you say some, is something that you're the most proud of? I'm most proud of my three kids. <laughs> it doesn't have to be us. <laughs> well, well, it is. I, when I look at, at, at the three of you and, and, as you said, the lives that you're living, um, I'm very proud of you. I don't know how much influence I had on that, but I am proud of you. When I look back on my career, I feel, I don't know, 
proud but blessed that I was able to work with the number of people that I did interact with and the opportunity to sit with people who are you know, experiencing a lot of trauma and being very vulnerable. So that was really an honor to be working with those people. And then as far as something I'm proud about, I'm really excited about what June and I have been able to create over the last couple of years with our journey for common ground. And yeah, I think that we have done incredible work as volunteers and applied for grants and we've got money and we've created an, a lovely outdoor space at Woodcliffe. And so that's, I'm proud of that. So now you need to say a little bit more about what Journey for Common Ground is. <laughs> okay. Okay. We, that's the title we gave our work on reconciliation. And why we chose that name was in 2019, in June of 2019, June and I joined a group of individuals, both Indigenous and none, who walked from Edmonton to Calgary over two weeks. June and I joined them just for the last day, and we walked from Airdrie to Calgary, and that was called a journey, journey for common ground. And so we named our walk, our work, Woodcliffe's Journey for Common Ground, is what we were doing. So since that time in 2019, we've organized a number of different events, and then worked on the physical space outside. So we have created a Indigenous medicine wheel garden, We've been designated at Woodcliffe now as one of the national healing forests across Canada, which is quite an honor. And we put on a full day workshop. We have great relationships with, as I said, an indigenous elder, knowledge keeper and drummer. So, and we're gonna continue the work. We're not done. We have so much to learn from the indigenous peoples that were here on this land long before us. So it's important that we learn to listen to what they have to tell us. Lots of good, good lessons. Lots of learning. Yes. What about you, Dad? Well, I, I learned and practiced as a community worker. And I would second what Susan said about you three, that ironically, you've all turned out to be community workers. Devon with through Timbernook and her, her healing as a pediatric physiotherapist. Tyson in his practice as a physiotherapist with elite athletes and some real challenged people as a, as a healer, in, including most, most of our family. <laughs> and, and you as, as a you created this community of, of learners and learning. And I guess, I guess the other thing is that when our extended family gets together, and what Susan said earlier, and you commented about your, your siblings, we have 14 people who love each other. And I mean, if there's something to be proud of and, and a legacy for our lives, wow. And what about, too, in your professional journey and the, the work that you've done and the communities that you've worked with or in your volunteering? <sighs> Well, uh, again, I think it's just, you know, in my life, in all of our lives, we, we need purpose. And, you know, have, has that individual purpose or that community, is it better having me having been there? And in a few cases, maybe yes. And, and where I have kind of screwed up, you know, I've, I've uh, kind of sometimes thought and expressed regret for that. But 
I, I think I've, I've also kind of had fun, and I've kind of found joy in the work that I've done. And I think in that work life, too, if there's one lesson that I learned about whether it's volunteer work or, or paid work, it's find someone that you can learn from. And in my case, a couple of times, I've, I've made lifelong friends in my work. And what a gift that is. So, I don't know. <laughs> Lots of things that you should both, you both are proud of, which I love to hear and should be proud of. So I have some rapid fire questions for you. <laughs> they don't need to be too rapid. We've already sort of talked about the first one that I shared with you. So I'm going to skip to number two. You have both traveled a lot, a lot, a lot. What is a place that is at the top of your travel bucket list? If you're still interested in traveling. <laughs> well, as you know, we are going to Costa Rica early in January. And we, ha we have traveled to 47, eight different countries through the years. And to, to be honest, right at the moment, I, I'm kind of content just to be home for a while. And if something pops up, a country that's interesting may look at that. But I, I'm, I'm really feeling I, I like to be at home for a bit. I can understand that. <laughs> what about you, Brian? And me, I, I, you know, I don't know if I'm traveled out. I'm, what I'm really, I'm really airported out. I traveled a ton with my work, and uh, airport was sort of an adventure. And now it's a, we like to say pain in the ass in a podcast. <laughs> it's tough navigating airports now. But I, we haven't talked uh, in this session ar around uh, a place called Scotch Creek, British Columbia, where we have had over for over 20 years a place where our family and friends gather. And that's my next destination uh, in a few months is to go back to Scotch Creek and, and uh, enjoy that place. If the invitation's open, we might join you for a bit. <laughs> <laughs> if we're allowed. You're allowed. What is a book, podcast, movie, or TV show that you've enjoyed recently? You don't have to say my podcast. Well, <laughs> I don't listen to a lot of podcasts. Certainly, I've listened to your podcast. And then books, I was thinking, I, lo I love to read. But I just borrowed again from the library Michelle Obama's book, Into the Light, I think it's the title, something like that. But I just feel that she's got such a positive message that, I think we need to hear now in this, what's going on in the world. Mm. And I just have so much respect for her. Yeah, I, I love her as a person and as an author too. Mm -hmm. What about you, Bri? Well, I read a couple of years ago, a book called uh, Successful Aging, uh, written by a guy named Daniel Levitin, who's a rock musician and a professor at McGill University. And uh, it was a it was great insight on how uh, at, at the stage of, of our lives and, and at, at any stage, including yours, we need to kind of work toward aging successfully. So that's a good, good, good read for me. Maybe one day I'll have to check that out. <laughs> Every time I go to the doctor, there's always a now that you're in your 40s and <laughs> when you turn 50 and yeah. Every time. Yeah, eye doctor, regular doctor, all the doctors. <laughs> um, if you could sit down and have a conversation with someone that you'd love to learn from, who would it be and why? 
Again, I struggle with that one. I, again, I was thinking of my mom because it wasn't until after your grandma and granddad died that I started looking more into our family history. Hmm. And grandma was sort of the keeper of so much. So I, I knew some things from her. But after they both passed away, I started doing a little bit more research, not into any great detail, but using Ancestry.ca. And so I, fa I found some things. And I, I just, I wish I would be able to sit down and talk to, especially my mom, but maybe my dad too, about some of these things, because there's some gaps there that I'd, li I'd like to learn more. And I'd like to be able to then pass that on to you guys. And, and my choice would be Barack Obama. <laughs> <laughs> but on the condition that he bring Michelle with him <laughs> and sit quietly and let me talk to her. Nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, I know in both cases, I find Barack and Michelle so inspiring and interesting, their story and perspective. And then the family piece, I think, is so key to just to learn more about, yeah, like what, kind of led us all to be where we are, who we are. How did we get here? What were all those those pieces? The story, the story of our family history, I think is so important. So last big question. My belief is that education plays such an important and integral role in all facets of our lives. So how we work and live and play and explore. So do you have any final thoughts or words of wisdom that could empower or support people in their own teaching and learning journeys? Well, I guess always being open to experiences and you can always learn from that. And, and I think everything you do, I think you mentioned that, you learn something, even if it's not a real positive experience or a job that you've had that was really hard. But each thing that we do, I think we, we learned something from that. So just to be open. And I think for me, learn, what has happened with this journey for common ground is, is just being open and amazing things happen. Because when we were on that walk, we met this wonderful woman named Sandra Souter. And she gave me her business card. And I tucked it away. And the business card was where, like her professional, she did Indigenous relations. But then I was looking for an Indigenous performer. And I was Googling, and up came her name. I didn't know that she was an Indigenous performer. And so I contacted her. And a year ago, June, we were able to have a concert with her with 100 people. So just, I think, just being open and to, to those sort of signs that maybe there's someone to connect with, and then you're able to learn from that person. And, and this will surprise you, and, and ironically, just because we've been married 48 years, I would second and repeat what, what Susan has said about being open. But I think also be open to people. And you never know what you're going to learn when you bump into someone, and whether it's a, an older person, a, a, a challenged person, a younger person, a street person. And... Uh, you have a friend named Kiara who once uh, you told me would, when she was working downtown on a regular basis would come, go by a street person and give them a banana. And that has stuck with me forever that there are you know, people out there that can teach us things 
and touch our lives, regardless of their age or social status or education. So I think to be, as Susan has said, to be open is, is really, really important. Well, I think I'm just going to... Oh, no, go well, ahead. Just one other thing. I know it just made me think of what one of the things that I would often share with students or staff that I worked with. You, you just never know what kind of impact you're going to have some, on someone's yeah, life. Yeah. If it's just a smile, yeah. it, that may change the direction of someone that someone yeah. may take. Yeah. So a smile or a few words that you might say to someone. And especially in the sheltering life work, the staff often would only see the women for a short period of time. But I always said, you never know what impact you're going to have on their lives. So we can always be teachers or mentors with a smile or a kind word. Yeah, it doesn't need to take a lot. And I no. I wanted to acknowledge how, like, your openness, so you both modeling that definitely has had an impact on me. And I, I one of the things that I think is really important when I sort of head out into the world is like people want to feel seen, heard and understood. And as you said, you just never, never know. People have the most interesting stories. And as just even a simple example, I was buying some gift cards for teachers the other day. And I asked the cashier what if or what he was hoping to get for Christmas this year. <laughs> and his answer was that he really hopes he'll be able to see his mom. Oh. So he's a student here in Calgary and his mom is in Ontario. Mm -hmm. And he didn't know if he'd be able to see her over the holidays. So yeah, you just never know by just taking a moment to to ask a question or be curious or yeah. Get to know the people who are around you, even if it's in a small way. Well, Bri and Suze, thank you very much for saying yes to being guests on my podcast and for sharing your time and your story and all your words of wisdom today. It was lovely to have you join me and it was great to connect with you. And I got to learn from you and even more about you than I knew before. It's about time. <laughs> hey, thank you. Thank you for listening to the People Teaching People podcast. I'm your host, Tiana Fesh. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Tiana Fesh and on my website, tianafesh.com. I would love it if you would subscribe to, rate, and review this podcast. Your feedback and support are so appreciated. See you next time where we will continue to explore all things teaching and learning together.